Hello, and welcome back to Season 2 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. I'm show director Jackie Dietrich with Startup Space. We started this podcast to bring you leading voices from practitioners working to catalyze positive economic impact in their communities through entrepreneurship. And throughout this year, our team at Startup Space has been hosting an online discussion series to bring this network together to learn and grow the field. So for this episode... We're bringing that discussion to you in podcast format to share the innovative data-driven approaches to this work we've been hearing about. This panel was held with a live virtual audience and was moderated by Breaking Down Barriers host, David Ponraj, with guests Regina Ann Campbell of Build Institute in Detroit, Betty Francisco of Boston Impact Initiative Fund, Mark Pelmore of Business Elevator in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and Kim Vogel of The Greenhouse and St. Petersburg Chamber in Florida. If you're interested in participating in any of those discussions, please check startupspace.us slash speaker series to learn more. Now, please enjoy this week's episode. So, uh, Betty, if you'd like to uh, unmute yourself, uh, Betty is the co-founder and board chair for uh, Amplify Latinx, uh, but also works with the Boston Impact Initiative. Uh, welcome, Betty. Thank you so much, David, and thank you for convening this uh, this great panel and this community of practice. So I really appreciate being here. So I'm Betty Francisco. I wear a couple of different hats. So I'm currently CEO of Boston Impact Initiative Fund. We're an impact investment fund that's focused on investing integrated capital, that's equity, debt, and grants, into companies located in Eastern Massachusetts with a focus on entrepreneurs of color, or businesses that support communities of color. And the ultimate mission is to use financial innovation to close the racial wealth divide. So we are one of you know, the uh, few local investors um, that squarely fits into the what we call the solidarity economy, building resilience in our local communities and building power in communities of color as well. And then I'm also co-founder of Amplify Latinx, which is another nonprofit focused on building economic and political power for Latinos in the Commonwealth. Uh, we do that, do that in three ways. It's, it's increasing civic engagement of our Latino community, everything from voting to political participation, uh, getting more Latino representation into decision-making roles. So whether it's boards, commissions, high-ranking roles where decisions are being made for our community. Uh, and then uh, what brings us to this forum is the work we started to do a couple years ago around economic opportunity, specifically supporting Latino-owned businesses to connect with each other other to get access to resources in order to scale them up. Um, and so last year in particular, started doing a lot of um, more uh, technical assistance with Latino owned businesses um, and, and, and started to become more of an ecosystem builder within Massachusetts because of this work. So happy to share more in the conversation, but excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we we'll look forward to digging a lot deeper into some of the work you're doing. Uh, next up, we have Kim Vogel, Vice President for entrepreneurial advancement and business growth and the co-manager of Greenhouse uh, in St. Pete, Florida. Well, hi everyone. Um, it is an honor to be with all of you and um, a very humbling experience to be with um, all of these wonderful practitioners. Um, I hope today to learn from all of you as well. Um, as David said, I am Vice President of Entrepreneurial Advancement um, and Business Growth, as well as the co-manager of the Greenhouse for St. Pete. Uh, interesting thing about our ecosystem is, is that as the co-manager of the Greenhouse, um, it is a public-private partnership between the City of St. Pete and the St. Petersburg Chamber of Commerce. And so half of our team is employees and the other half of our 
supporting uh, our chamber employees. And so uh, we are constantly looking at, you know, what is possible, what is feasible, um, how do we, uh, how, how do we as often as possible possible be as entrepreneurial as we can be in the services that we provide. We are um, not only the front door, but the back door and the side door and all of that for the entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, truly with the, with the goal to serve as many uh, folks as we can, um, and really focused on all of our women and minority owned businesses in particular. Uh, um, just knowing that that they um, need and that we are here to serve them. Um, so uh, in 2020, we actually had 10,000 unique engagements with our clientele. Um, obviously, 2020 was a challenging year for all of us, uh, but we are uh, very proud of the work that we do and, and really are here to serve all of those businesses from I want to start a food truck to I think I might have the next um, tech application and what do I do now? So thank you. Some, yep. Great to be here with all of you. Thank you, Kim. All right, next we have Mark Pelmore, who is a CEO and president and founding member of the Business Elevator uh, in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Thank you, David. Um, my name is Mark Pelmore. And as he said, I'm the CEO of uh, Business Elevator. Uh, one of the things that we have kind of uh, been privilege to do is uh, work on those businesses that are considered micro businesses. That's kind of our niche. Uh, we have worked with the Small Business Development Center that is here in Champaign-Urbana. And our strength has come in being the front porch for those organizations. Uh, being in Champaign-Urbana, this, this is a tech heavy, uh, architecture heavy uh, community. Uh, so a lot of the smaller, smaller businesses have no desire to be in agriculture or some of those technologies, but they start, they want to start businesses. So where do they go? And we have been providing that uh, platform for them. And I think we've doing a good job, but there's multiple ways that we can get better. And we're hoping to move in that direction as years pass. Well, welcome. Uh, and then uh, last uh, but not the least, we have Regina Campbell. Uh, Regina uh, is the CEO of Build Institute, and uh, Build Institute is in Detroit, Michigan. Welcome, Regina. Uh, thanks for having me, David. Um, it's great to be among so many great minds and hearts who, who are leading the efforts in economic development. And so um, Build Institute is an idea hub incubator. Uh, we've been around since 2012. Uh, supporting community-based, place-based businesses with taking their ideas, launching them into the marketplace. Uh, we primarily focus on micro-businesses, and these are businesses that are in the proof-of-concept stage as well as justify stage. So they are pre-banks, pre-bankable, and sometimes not ready to go to a CDFI. And so we help them around entrepreneurial education, as well as we have a capital ladder, which includes Kiva. And so a fun fact is Detroit was actually the first place in the U.S. where the hub, uh, Kiva hub was launched. And so Build is proud to be uh, the first where that has happened in our nation. We also have a Detroit Soup, which is a part of our capital ladder, as well as some other grant and loan funds to help these justify stage and group of concept businesses. Uh, one of the things that we do, we think, is, which is very unique and valuable to helping these entrepreneurs is that we also provide health and wellness 
uh, classes and one-to-many and one-to-one support because oftentimes we find with community-based businesses, whether retail or services, they often need um, that one-on-one mental health support, physical wellness support for the many hats that they wear. And so we found that contributes to them being successful. To date, we've got 2011 alumni that we are helping support to be able to sustain and grow their business. And our North Star has always been to at least help these businesses get to $100,000 annual revenue and being able to go to a bank or a CDFI to be able to grow and scale. And so we have a national footprint. Uh, We are also in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, as well as in Brandonton, Florida. Uh, So again, we support with entrepreneurial education, capital, uh, and subject matter experts. Awesome. Welcome. We have such a uh, a powerhouse panel here, so I can't wait to get started. Uh, Just a couple housekeeping things for, we have an audience from around the country, by the way, just for all of you um, in almost every time zone. So I'd love for you all to just introduce yourselves by just putting in the chat uh, where you're from and the organization you're a part of, uh, just so that there's a way to do some virtual networking. Um, and then also uh, we will get we'll get into questions for the last 15 minutes, uh, audience questions. So please type your questions uh, into the chat. Uh, and then also Jackie is going to be putting resources uh, for uh, if so if this meeting you've come in wanting to ask questions about startup space. Uh, we actually have another uh, set of webinars where we focus on startup space. Uh, Jackie will put a link. You can register for that. This is going to be primarily around uh, data and and uh, economic development and impact, um, not focused on startup space. So uh, just a call out there. Um, so let me, the first question I'm going to keep generic, but then I'm going to ask questions specific to your programs. Um, Betty, I'll start with you. This is for all of you, which is around what do you do to increase capital access specifically for underrepresented communities? Uh, you know, what are some creative ways in which you've been able to do it or you're working on to increase capital access? Okay, so this is an awesome question for me because <laughs> I'm a capital provider. So one of the things that um, I w- in, within the ecosystem in Massachusetts, Boston Impact Initiative is one of the very few um, you know, nonprofit financi- financing institutions. We're not a CDFI, we're, but we are a nonprofit um, a provider of capital. And we are really creative in how we structure our transactions. So we are a relationship-based lender, trust-based lender. We don't take personal guarantees. We don't look at credit scores. We build relationships with local entrepreneurs. And it may take a little longer, right, to understand their business. A lot of them need pre-investment technical assistance as far as uh, building their model, understanding their, uh, you know, the, the, the business plan. Some of them, while we invest um, both uh, pre-seed and um, once the business is launched as well from a growth perspective, those that are earlier stage, we might support them with, you know, accessing a broker to help them with their lease, putting a little bit of grant money to help them negotiate um, a key contract or get some TA that they need in order to build up their critical skills. So um, the transactions themselves are very creative, everything from, you know, a, a company that needs a traditional term loan or line of credit to one that may have cash flow already, strong cash flow, and for them, it, they're better off with royalty finance or receivables finance. And then for businesses that have a higher growth trajectory, maybe they're in technology, we will do um, convertible debt or equity as well. So we, we will do literally what it's called integrated capital, blended capital, 
capital, mix and match it and be able to meet the needs of that business um, at the time that they come to us. And that's not common, right, with a lot of our nonprofit lend, uh, lenders or, or um, capital allocators because they may be only able to do debt, right? Very few are doing equity. And what we're seeing right now is there's such a need for equity capital, patient, long-term capital for those businesses that are gonna be very strong, stable, you know, revenues over time, not the hockey stick growth companies that everyone is looking for in the venture space, right? There's a gap in that more patient, long-term capital for, for you know, businesses in local communities. The other thing, um, so, so the way we create that access, right, is having like a very, very flexible um, types of capital options. We educate a lot too in the field. So we have the, the set of cards. I don't know if you can see them with my, but, but it's a card deck, 117 cards in here, where we are teaching other capital providers how to use different transaction structures different um, types of you know, legal transaction structure, capital types for particular deals. And then what other um, smart capital, right? So social capital, um, knowledge capital, will that entrepreneur need to be successful? So, so we do a lot of field building and education as well in addition to just providing money, right? To these businesses. Um, so those are just a few ways that we differentiate, you know, as far as we're creating more capital access, especially for entrepreneurs of color. Thank you. Uh, Kim, I'll, I'll throw it to you next. Thanks, David. Um, uh, I with all of the things that Betty is doing, we are not. Uh, we, uh, I would, I would say that this is an area for us um, in St. Petersburg, um, probably throughout Pinellas County that we, we continue to, uh, I'm just going to say, we continue to struggle with. Um, it, is not, it is not easy. We have not, I think, made the systems easy in order to you know, figure all of these things out. So we are slowly but surely moving towards that direction. Obviously, we have a number of, of CDFIs that we're working with. Um, our real goal specifically as the greenhouse is really just to get people ready, right? Like um, we, we don't, there isn't a lot of capital funds here. Um, Florida in general just doesn't have a lot of capital funds. Um, and there is some legislation now in the work in front of the state house, um, you know, trying to uh, ease the barriers, if you will, between investors and um, and startups, and it, it just it hasn't been easy uh, for folks to meet um, and to find that common ground uh, in the state of Florida. So there is some legislation that's being worked on when it comes to that. But for us, we are really focusing on um, the capacity building part. Like, how are we really preparing our small businesses so that they are ready? Whether it is uh, through one of our CDFIs, whether it is through a grant program, we continue to find more and more opportunities where we are partnering with various organizations, where we are, you know, developing more microgrant funds. Um, but we have a lot of work to do. And I'm actually really excited to be on this call to to actually hear from all of you guys too, because we've we've got a lot to learn too. Well, I love that unvarnished authenticity. You don't have to always have all the answers. And sometimes, you know, knowing what you look for, I think is uh, very, very commendable. Uh, so, uh, Mark, I'll, I'll have you answer next. Thank you, David. Um, just listening to the two ladies 
respond has been enlightening for myself. Um, as an organization, we have been going over and over and over, how do we become the CDFI that we don't have? So that has been our initial struggle. But as we pull some of the things back, we are strategically placed. In Champaign-Urbana, two hours north is Chicago. Two hours west is uh, St. Louis. Two hours east is Indianapolis. So we are kind of right in the middle of some thriving business area. But we're kind of getting left out because people don't really see this area other than something that the university holds up. So now we're trying to use that, that leverage to say, okay, well, if we get enough small businesses or micro businesses weave together, how can we make economics a more powerful tool? And that is kind of how we are. So uh, Betty, I would love to see those cards of yours. Yeah. And, 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 and as Kim said, you know, sometimes we come across answers that we didn't even know. And it's because as we're trying to help businesses that uh, didn't even know they had a problem, now the problem becomes big enough that more people can see it. So that gives us another way to try to help someone else in the future. But we have to document what we've done, the results, and that goes all the way back to the data we've been talking about uh, for weeks now. If you're not using the data to kind of fill in the gaps, then it'll just continue to be a gap at some point that nobody's filling. And that's kind of how we are where we are, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Of course, I'm also excited to hear what Regina has to say. I'm sure, Regina, you've got all kinds of things you're working on. Uh, but tell us. So specific to capital. So we focus yeah. primarily on under-resourced, underrepresented entrepreneurs, um, women of color, um, Blacks who are a majority of the city of Detroit. Um, and so what we've been doing is we lean in on like, even we are aware of what's not there and we create the environment, quite frankly, we build the solutions and pilot things so the, that others, whether it be CDFIs or banks can begin to say how they plug and play. And so for example, um, as an organization, um, it's important to me that when I came, um, I was at Epicenter Memphis and we did a lot of community-based capital strategies to create the environment for people to do both um, debt and equity investments, as well as bringing in community to invest. So we realize up front that everyone knows that there are particular standards or restrictions that are barriers to accessing capital, particularly for micro-businesses. And so versus us trying to see, well, how do we get them ready for those? People are doing that. We have an actual capital ladder that does that. And so we've been fortunate as a nonprofit to have, you know, funders and investors like, you know, New Economy and Solutions. Um, so that as we do those here in Detroit, we see others, they're saying, okay, now I know where to put my investment as a corporate partner or as an entity. So that would showed us that, some entrepreneurs, particularly in communities of color, um, small businesses, micro businesses who are essential, who create most of the jobs and the economic impact that we see, that's what data shows us. They need money in real time. 
they don't necessarily have um, financial statements. We all know that. So why do we continue to put them in this box with that expectation when it's just not there? At Build and in Detroit, we work really hard to build the solution, create new ways that people can see there are other ways you can have capital available for these entrepreneurs. So between different type of grants that there are, between different type of loan funds, the loan loss preserves, um, so that people are willing to take those risks on these businesses who are creating these jobs and these opportunities in our community. So I always like to say, as Build, I say to my team, we aren't in the box as much as we work outside of the box. We're all aware data has shown us what the problems and issues are, and we're building the solutions that our entrepreneurs are needing based on the data that we're seeing, and they keep hitting these roadblocks. They don't have financial statements, so why are we still creating those same solutions and barriers? At Build, we're about creating access, equitable access. Um, and so that's how we address systems change using the data to help inform what we do. And again, in Detroit, we have great philanthropy that allows us to do very flexible, unique pilot for different capital solutions. I love that you ended there, Regina, because I'm going to ask you about one of those, uh, if you don't mind, just uh, continuing to uh, answer this, this one about how did you get the GoDaddy grant? And, you know, uh, I know data was involved in that process. I think that's also going to be something that's fascinating. How did you end up getting that? So um, the GoDaddy grant was a very uh, interesting thing. Of course, we know that um, most of our micro businesses, they don't have a website presence. We had a website and that's how they found us uh, here in Detroit. And um, the data had showed that primarily a lot of the micro businesses in Detroit, I know Baltimore got another grant, did not have an online presence. And we know that that online presence is necessary sort of post COVID and how can they make that particular investment. Uh, and based on that data, we were able to determine how many people we would serve over these next 12 months. But also for us, we looked at the data, particularly the data from Startup Space. There was some investment I know from New Economy Initiative for the report that said what the need was that validated that. And based on that, we worked with a number of partners in the ecosystem so that we can deliver the GoDaddy uh, program where you'll end up with 150 websites. But aside from that, our thing is um, not just to give people sort of digital assets. We are institute. So we want to teach people how to fish. So for every element of our entrepreneurial education, it is really about them learning how to do it themselves. So whatever room they're in that we're not in with them, they can go on and grow their business. Um, and so that GoDaddy grant, the data that we got from sort of startup space with that investment helped drive the interventions and solutions that we've been able to do with that. Um, and it's big for Detroit because it is a nonprofit that said, we are going to collaborate with other ecosystem partners here to execute this for entrepreneurs in Detroit. Um, and that way we yield more impact than us trying to do it ourselves at build so um as you know david we have a strong um we got a 40 plus organizations here that work together collaboratively um and we keep the entrepreneur at the center and we leverage those resources there so um, part of that we got a capital fund too we were able to leverage some opportunity for a capital fund for other entrepreneurs as well so and hi, Don Jones. I just got to say hi to Don. Have a super <laughs> fun. <laughs> Good to see you, friend. All right. So, uh, Betty, I'll ask you about this, this summit that is very timely, right? The future of small business, uh, the sustainable framework for inclusive uh, economic mobility. 
so, you know, and how does this, uh, how do you have these kinds of uh, programs uh, that help drive the conversation you're trying to have around uh, inclusion and diversity? Yeah, so, uh, so Amplify Latinx, uh, when it first launched this uh, business initiative in 2018, uh, you know, and, and we operate in Massachusetts, which, you know, the population of Latinos here is 12% now. Um, but in the, in the youth segment, right, when you look at public schools as an example, in certain cities like Boston, um, the Latino demographic is 40% or more. So the fight of our of our Commonwealth is very much dependent on the ongoing development of and uh, of the Latino workforce, um, which also is starting businesses at the fastest rate, you know, across the country and in the Commonwealth. So one of the things we wanted to showcase was um, the impact Latino businesses were having in our economy locally and nationally. Um, you know, the fact that as while they are, you know, in, it's a highly entrepreneurial demographic, um, a lot of the businesses that are created skew small. There's only 3% of Latino-owned businesses across the country generate a million in annual recurring revenue. So, so there's a tremendous scaling opportunity, right? And it has all to do, the issues have all to do with the things we, we know about, right? Like it's discrimination, it's ongoing historical barriers, right? That have um, left us out of access to capital, of access to the networks, et cetera. So, this was as much of a celebration of, of our Latino businesses, as much as it was an opportunity to educate our larger ecosystem, including political leaders, policymakers, corporations on the opportunity that literally is here, but is not being tapped. So it was about unleashing the economic potential of the Latino demographic, business demographic in the Commonwealth. So we launched in 2018 at Hub Week, which is this festival uh, of different business um, uh, leaders and topics. And it, it's an awesome, like it was an awesome week long festival, a lot of visibility, it got a lot of attention and we continue to replicate this every year. And one of the things that's sort of the, the crux of the event is you know it's as much as visi it's visi visibility right for Latino businesses, but it's also showcasing the data. So we partnered with Stanford Latino, the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative, which is one of the largest um, data collectors around Latino business, um, you know businesses. Um, they do an annual report. They also have done a lot of reporting around COVID impacts. So we partnered with them to do a state of Latino business presentation as part of the event, um, both national data and some local data. But what it does, it tells you a story, the story of the opportunity we're missing out of. Uh, and, and so that became sort of the anchor of why are we here? And then it was also very partner driven. So you know, we, we didn't know the words yet. We didn't use the words ecosystem at that time when we first launched it, but we launched Amplify's business initiative, which is called Power Up, with about 150 partner organizations. And the partners are organizations like you on this call, right? So business accelerators, um, incubator programs, co-working spaces, government programs, um, you know, SBA, um, technical assistance providers, capital providers, angel investors. It was, think of the whole ecosystem. We said, who 
wants to support this demographic? Who is interested in learning more? Who wants to get more involved? Who sees the growth potential? And that's how we we launched it. And um, over time, we this is our fourth annual event. And what I'm excited about is it all along it's been about you know visibility, showcasing businesses, the Latino-owned businesses. But because of where I work now at Boston Impact Initiative, I want to do something a little bit different where we're now talking both about economic growth, but also growth within what, what we call now the solidarity economy, right? So we know what capitalism has done. Capitalism does not work, right, for our businesses. And we're saying to ourselves, how can we help launch and sustain and grow businesses that are really having a social impact in additional to, you know, having great financial returns, they're also having impact in a different way. And it's about redistributing both ownership, wealth, and power. So this is as much a conversation around business growth as it is around shifting power um, and ownership and control of land, right, to people that have traditionally been left out underinvested in. Um, and so we have a speaker, a keynote speaker, Manuel Pastor is a professor at USC, that's gonna talk about what is the solidarity economics, the solidarity economy. These are not terms we, we often hear in the common, in these startup ecosystem spaces. And I think it's time. I think it's time that we start to weave them in, that we start to challenge traditional capitalist models and say, what can we do differently? Especially now, because we, we have an economy that's broken, but we also have some serious climate issues. And we have to start to talk about, you know, building businesses um, that are both resilient, but are tackling our most pressing social issues. Is solidarity economy the same thing as collective impact? No. Okay. Can you, can you break down the two different, because, because economic developers talk a lot about collective impact. Right, like that's built into the framework oh, right. in a lot of cases. So solidarity economy is basically it's focused on not just folk looking at financial returns, but also looking at you know people, planet, and profits together, okay. right? And and it's also about movement building. How do we create more democratic structures within our businesses? It's where you start to talk about worker-owned businesses, cooperatively owned businesses. Things that have existed in other countries, right? In Latin America, for example, you see a lot of these, you know, those structures exist there um, more mainstream than they do here. Like here, it's this like, oh, those are like for the, you know, social impact people over there. Well, no, like, could we start to think about, you know, worker ownership for some businesses that are ready for that or want to look at that? Like, it, you know, it, it's, it's great to see, you know, minority owned businesses enrich, like, two or three owners, but what about the workers that built the business? It's been built on their backs, right? So how do we get more wealth to accrue for them? That's part so. of the solidarity yeah. conversation. I'm gonna to have to go research it some more, but uh, now that I know it, I know where to look. So uh, I'm gonna bring Kim into the conversation. Kim, let's talk a little bit about storytelling and community conversations. I know you're doing a lot to rally and you know, working with you, it's fascinating how you've got this vision to bring the community together. Uh, and I think that ultimately that's gonna help create all of this data that's gonna be uh, you know, what you need to go build what you want in St. Pete. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you're doing it? Sure. Um... St. Uh, Petersburg made a decision uh, in 2013, 2014 that 
um, in order for uh, the economy to to really take off and and do what we really needed the economy to do, and that was to um, look at the principles of equitable economy. Um, we put together what we call the Grow Smarter Strategy, and it's really focused on uh, kind of key industry areas, but again, really focused on how do we bring um, equitable economic development to to all neighborhoods, um, to you know, to all parts of the city, um, and really also, you know, to all parts of the county. And so um, in doing that, you know, there has been some really unique strategies that have been, you know, that have been put in place. Um, and for us, you know, as a as an example, uh, it was really important for us during the COVID, uh, you know, the right at the heart of the of COVID as it was really getting started was because we are a unique partnership with the city. Um, you know, we all everybody got sent home and we were we were doing um, uh, the our, our city team was working on, you know, what is that uh, incentive? What is that? Um, relief that they can come up with as quickly as possible. And actually, they were one of the first uh, economic development teams uh, in any community across the country that was able to get uh, checks in hand um, of those businesses that, you know, that were closing, uh, you know, that had to close immediately. And our job, our part of the team then was to really build out the, the actual uh, emergency response, right? The emergency response team, the the navigation, if you will, um, and to really act as that business response team. And so we really just put on our best kind of case management hats, and um, you know, in doing that, then really said, okay, it's our job to surround you and to really encircle you with the resources that you need. And we were really able to do that in partnership with a, you know, a number of different organizations. And you know, we're, we're obviously not as big as Boston and Detroit and you know, um, other communities, but you know, we, we do have a number of, um, of organizations that are, are very dedicated to equitable economic development. And um, as we are moving through that, we are now really focused on the storytelling part because we continue to gather the data. Um, and uh, even before meeting David and the startup space team, the uh, having data was really important to us. It was um, that that piece that was really going to set us apart and was also, frankly, you know, from my my partner's position, you know, as as a city economic developer, uh, her her uh, management team was demanding it like we need to know we need to know how many small businesses you're working with and what you know what do those numbers look like and and all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we are, again, like I said, really focused on saying how how do we look at each business uniquely, specifically our, our women-owned and minority-owned businesses and say, what is it that you need that will set you apart in the marketplace? And what are those additional steps that we need to do as your navigation team uh, to make sure that you have those resources? Um, and really in doing that, and I'm actually really proud to say that my lead navigator is actually on this call, Rennell Montgomery, uh, who is doing some absolutely incredible work, one-on-one, um, -on -one, you know, uh, focus-based work with these small businesses and saying, um, you know, now what? What's next? What, what else do you need? And really making sure that those businesses have the, the capacity building skills to, to move forward. Um, I'm sure just like 
all the rest of you out in economic development land, one of the things that we are uh, really experiencing here is, um, you know, uh, lots of our small businesses, lots of our um, main street businesses are being priced out of the market. Are working really hard right now to try to come up with creative ways of how do we, uh, you know, whether that is going to be in the end some kind of subsidized, uh, you know, program or, you know, does it make more sense to look at some kind of incubation or, you know, larger retail space or food halls or whatever it may be so that we can actually, you know, get these businesses to a place where they know that revenue can be generated. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we're working on those things, we are continuing to say the storytelling is really important and we want to make sure that, that whether it's a challenge um, that one of our businesses is happening or we have a success story that we are sharing that very purposefully with the community because it's really important for us, even if we can't solve it, it's really important for us to share that with the community so that somebody, you know, smarter, maybe who has more time, more resources can help and say, hey, here's, uh, here's a thought or here's a solution. Um, and we continue to just, you know, put those stories out there and just make sure that, that people know that, you know, we can't solve all of the problems, but darn it, we're gonna find the resources that we can to make sure that if we can't do it, we're gonna find our friends who can do it. Yeah, well said. Uh, uh, Mark, uh, can you talk a little bit about your, um, your coaching academy and how you've been able to use data to tell, to at least much measure and tell the stories of the impact you are creating through your through your programs? Sure. So um, before COVID, we had a twelve week immersive coaching uh, entrepreneurial coaching academy that we kind of uh, drove individuals from the very basics of things to financials through uh, capacity building and all those sorts of things. Uh, after COVID, we kind of shifted to maybe a six week, way more intensive, but shorter. Uh, and what we were trying to do was trying to figure out exactly what uh, micro entrepreneurs or micro businesses needed to go from A to B. We, we were no longer trying to do A to Z. So we were trying to figure out how can we get you from A to B? And in doing that, uh, one of the things that we, of course, saw that um, resources was, was more tangent, but more people was thinking that resources had to be tangible. And one of the things that was being completely left out was access to information. But based on that, uh, here in Champaign County, well, Champaign-Urbana, there's only a 2% uh, average of uh, minority-owned operations or businesses. And right now, if we don't have access to the information, how is that 2% ever gonna grow? So we've been using that data and the process of our coaching academy to kind of stack people up to not only get from A to B, but now we have some options to maybe get to C or maybe get to D. So we're trying to put one step behind another step. And that is all data driven because the data is showing us that without access to capital, of course, there's no access 
access to information. There's no access to talent. There's no access to people. So it all kind of ties together. And previously, um, in some of the most disadvantaged communities, there was never an opportunity or I'm, I shouldn't say opportunity. There was never a really a real cause to weave those things together. And now that we're trying to do it, it seems like there is more policy being put in place to make it a reality, even though when we first started doing this three years ago, it wasn't really a thing. So now that we make it a thing, uh, it gets a little more leverage and we're kind of in the middle of it. But as we train individuals to go from micro to small to whatever size they want to go to, they have to understand that there's knowledge, there's information, there's data, and then there's resources that all kind of tie together. And without them, you're just going to be stuck doing as we call it, hustling. And as a business owner, you don't want you don't want to always just be hustling. <laughs> no, <laughs> well said. So, uh, Regina, I know you are very passionate about data, and you know you talk about even being able to share the data widely with your uh, community. Can you talk about like what what type of impact you're trying to drive through uh, making you know data such an important part of your strategy? Like, certainly. You know, what is the end game on this? So certainly, David. So the end game for us is, as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes when it comes to sort of communities of color, underrepresented, under-resourced, um, you know, now that group includes women, there aren't necessarily existing resources, whether it be capital, education, subject matter experts available in the marketplace. So we sit in service to build and create the catalytic environment so that corporates, philanthropy, and others can see how do I plug and play when they say they want to help, but their particular regulations and guidelines don't allow them to be able to directly give us money unless it's showing an ROI or social return on investment. So data for us is how we make the case, how we present the economic ROI, um, but also for Bill, the social ROI is important. So we're always looking to capture the entrepreneurs, the impact of our programs. We take a look at all the data that comes in from surveys that have gone out across the ecosystem to determine one, validate what the need is, one, and then two, help us co-create a solution so that we can continue to drive investment, drive dollars. Um, and it's almost like we tell our entrepreneurs all day, we tell them that they have to do market research, that they have to understand the market they're in, that data will drive the success of their business. As a nonprofit, it's so different for us. Everything that we do is tied to some data and you, the numbers do not lie. And so that gives us not only as thought leaders in this economic development space, something to work with, it gives us some credibility. We've done our part, we've done our research. You know, we've vetted this idea here for this solution for the uh, system. So here's, you know, your investment, you will see this type of economic impact. You will see this ROI. And so for us, I found in my experiences that the data is the only thing that helps um, interested people who want to help in this or make investment understand what this is and how 
it can be something tangible because oftentimes the dollars are really associated with somebody saying something tangible, whether it's our investors or, or you know, our funders, they want something tangible. So the data for us is the only way that, that it shows itself. Yep. And I'm going to share, you know, one of our own stories from Detroit. But before that, uh, Betty, the next question I want to ask you, uh, and right after this, you know, uh, I'll bring you into the conversation is about how can we use data to create more inclusivity in the, the, in the leadership realm where, you know, we can actually have uh, uh, show that diversity brings better leadership and better decisions and better outcomes. But, but before that, really quick, if you have any questions, uh, please put it into the chat so that we can ask uh, our panel. And then uh, a little snippet of our own experience, uh, data actually gave us uh, access to the decision makers. So in Detroit, we're working on a, a survey with NEI, uh, with a new economy initiative. Uh, and uh, that data that we had as a result, uh, we were actually asked by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation and the governor's office if we would be willing to do a little study for them to help understand uh, uh, access to capital for micro-businesses and what were the gen general challenges for um, micro-businesses. And if we didn't start with data, we wouldn't even have access to those decision makers which we think ultimately helped them with, you know, they said they were looking at the SSBCI funding and ARPA funding to see how they could impact or how they could invest in infrastructure. And I feel like us having data gave, gave us access to those corridors of decision-making. Uh, and I think that can be a really powerful way to think of how do we shift the conversation. So Betty, uh, you know, I'd love to bring you in and talk about, you know, about also around decision-making. Sure. So, well, it's just, there's so much there that I could talk about. Um, trying to figure out how to, how, I'm involved in too many things, so it all converges. Um, but back to the data, so, and decision-making. So one thing that came out of, you know, the work that I that I was doing with Amplified Latinx, with Latino businesses, and then as I transitioned to Boston Impact Initiative, now as a capital allocator, last year um, I got involved, and this is how our ecosystem entrepreneurial ecosystem started to evolve and build here in Massachusetts, I got involved with a, a bunch of CDFI organizations that came together um, with some local banks to help um, our Black, Latino, Asian, you know, immigrant women-owned businesses apply for PPP loans. So it was like the second round, you know, where we all realized, wow, these businesses got left out in round one. What can we do to come together to ensure that they get access that we're educating our small business on this opportunity um, because that was a barrier too that, that we talked about, Mark talked about lack of access to information, right? So it was educating our business owners around what was available for them to survive and helping them access these funds. That initiative um, grew into almost a hundred different technical assistance providers coming together and working together really, really closely. Um, and creating out of, out of that effort came a lot of advocacy for the state to put in more grant capital because these PPP loans were not enough. Um, and the state eventually pushed out one of the largest, I think it was the largest small business grant program in the country. So $678 million last December and January was distributed to um, small businesses in Massachusetts and about 50% of it was committed to women and minority-owned business owners. Why that I mentioned that, and we talk, when we talk about leadership, is that this group, 
out of this group, this coalition emerged a coalition. It's called the Coalition for an Equitable Economy. And it's about um, 14 steering committee members. I'm one of them. And one of the things we prioritized in this effort was leadership representative of the community, right? So a majority of the folks in this coalition are Black and Latinx and Asian. Um, and we are advocates first and foremost for our small businesses. We're we put a we put together um, a, two research reports already, right? Because we we wanted to inform our coalition work in terms of how can we build a more equitable and inclusive economy in Massachusetts, and we needed data. So I can I'm happy to share those two. But we partnered with the Boston Foundation to put out a report on the color of capital gap. And that quantified the actual gap. It's a half a billion dollar gap annually of, of capital that is needed for entrepreneurs of color is just not getting to them. And we did another one on the broader challenges for small businesses of color and how we could create a policy agenda to drive impact. So data is become an advocacy tool for us, but it's also about who's at the table shaping these recommendations uh, and these um, solutions. And we prioritize the leadership of the group of the coalition to be those closest, you know, here we say those people closest to be to the pain should be closest to the power and should be closest to shaping the solutions for our communities. So there, there's, I think a very critical shift happening here and I think nationwide where we're saying, how do we elevate right, the voices of leaders that, it, that have traditionally been marginalized that often you know, are in advocacy spaces or nonprofit spaces and are not heard and now they are. And it's partly because we've come together and we're advocating as a coalition. So we're doing this with leveraging collective power and we're multiracial and multi-generational. So that's transformed, I think, how we advocate, how um, we ensure that voice, different voices really representing community are at the table and how we're building power, right? Um, and, and, and at the same time, leadership within our communities. No, it's so powerful. And I think that uh, uh, the more diverse the voices are, the richer the outcome. I mean, it's statistically proven over and over again. Um, and it's it's about intentionally bringing those diverse voices onto the table. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to shift to maybe a question that's just a 30 second question to each of you, uh, just so that I can get to a couple um, questions from the audience. Kim, I'll start with you and uh, really 30 second, because this is something that we don't talk about around data. There is a burden to data collection, right? Like if you want good data, there's going to be either some input challenges, you have to input the data into a system or you have to be able to pay for the data. Any creative hacks that you've all figured out in how do you kind of quickly get data together? Uh, I'll ask Kim, Mark, Regina, and then Betty. Kim, you go first. Um, persistence and hard work. Um, and, and honestly, for us right now, it's, you know, that continuing challenge with, with every single CRM. Um, and in the end, it really is, you know, part of my job is to empower my team to be able to have the time right now to do, to be persistent and to do the hard work of inputting the data so that we can have good data that comes out. And we literally just had a meeting that went on for 45 minutes 
today about data and data collecting and what is working and what what isn't working and how how do we continue to collect it better so that yeah. is where we're at right now yeah <laughs> mark yeah so uh because we have a relationship with the university of illinois uh i think we got a little bit of a cheat we have a uh team or six or seven uh business students that kind of help us with our data input and stuff like that so uh what we try to do is whatever information that we have that needs to go into the crm we're trying to let them handle it and let us oversee it but i think the trick to it is giving them the opportunity to really learn how to use data but you know it's really for us but they're learning how to use it um and then the the final product really helps us because it helps us generate a uh, a different narrative when we're doing different things as far as grants or talking to the city or talking to elected officials. So uh, on both ends, it's, it's helping them and helping us. Uh, Regina? Whoa, uh, startup space, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to cue you up. <laughs> we leverage startup space. So, you know, in my experiences, a number of um, both what Kim and Mark, you were saying, in my role, I had to do that plus make sure that there were excellent programs that do fundraising. And the data pieces we all are saying is key and critical. So coming back to Detroit and the startup space, they've been the ones who actually do our data analytics, our dashboard, our storytelling around impact, which has been significantly valuable, both from us getting what we need for our external audiences and to evaluate our path forward, but also my team can focus on what we do well as entrepreneurial education, building capital solutions. And so we leverage startup space. Thank you. So Betty, I'll change the question slightly so it doesn't look like I'm teeing you all up to say startup space. So let me change it slightly. My thing is the investment needed to do, to do data collection. Like, you know, in the for-profit world in corporate America, there's like budgets allocated to data collection because without data, you're significantly handicapped. And if you want to be the leader in your industry or in your category, data-driven decision-making is critical. So talk about investments into data collection. Yeah, I mean, I think it's vitally critical. Like in my last organization, which is another another nonprofit that did financial education and coaching, we were meticulous about data collection, but it's we also had a position dedicated to it. So, so if you really want to invest in it, you may need a role, right? So it's a data um, uh, that person was um, learning and uh, evaluation, but essentially they were a data. Uh, expert that leveraged um, everything that we collected in, I mean, not startup space, it was Salesforce in this case, um, but would use the data to tell the story of the impact that the program was having on families. And that is what was used for fundraising. It's what was used to report back to any you know, government agencies. Um, and it was vitally important, but having a dedicated resource in, in terms of a person, and then also having the technology coupled together with good data collection practices, making sure everyone's putting in the data, getting it is, is vital. The other thing is, if you don't have the ability to do all that, you know, like at Boston Impact Initiative, we, we do an impact report every year of the businesses that we support, the ones we've invested in. And we, we don't just look at like, here's how much we invested, but we do pretty, um, significant data collection 
with them that involves a, a very detailed like 50 question survey plus a two hour interview with each company and then analyze the data to look at impact across different levels from job creation wages ownership ecological impact and i'm going to put the the link to this this year's impact report and what we do is uh, so we report on that it's a nice report and you know it's great, but we also use Google data studio, which helps us slice and dice and look at impact over the years too. So there are lots of different tools in addition to startup space to look at how you're having impact over time, but it's an investment of people and, and a good system right that can automate some of this too. So there in the chat. Thank you. Yeah, please uh, share that with us. All right, last word to each of you. Uh, you can talk about programs you're doing. You can talk about, you know, how you got into the space, uh, you know, or if you want to tell people how they can find your work and uh, be a part of the work you're doing. Kim, I'll start with you uh, just as a way to kind of wrap up the conversation. Um, thank you all so much for being here and really for allowing all of us to um to share our economic development journeys you know i would say for us um we are really prioritizing for the future this continuing um, role of navigation um we are looking uh in depth at you know how do we look at uh navigation industry uh industry by industry um how do we look at navigation um as you know as we're working with um, all sorts of different businesses big businesses small businesses um, and uh, we're just trying to expand that navigation team um, and we we know and we are excited about what startup space is doing with us uh, and for us as we continue that work um, because we we think it's uh, not just a matter of technology and data but also about storytelling and boots on the ground and a little old-fashioned legwork so that's yeah, what we're thank you yeah mark uh so i think that right here in champagne uh again like i said we, we kind of evenly dispersed from three major cities so i but i think that uh us being in a major university town gives us a little difference and for <clears throat> excuse me for me personally i started my uh economic uh development or ecosystem uh, ecosystem building in kansas city so i was part of the enterprise works uh the block grant and all that good stuff and then i moved back home to champagne and there was none of that structure here so i started trying to build it from scratch and that wasn't going very well until I started using some of the principles that I now know is part of the startup space evolution, start uh, part of the ecosystem building evolution. So I think I've been on this path maybe 10 years, but for the last three or four, it has become formalized. So um, any services or support that you guys have please send them my way. Um, Business Elevator, we're on all the socials and we, we'll be willing to listen and learn from everyone. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Regina, 30 seconds, any final thoughts? Oh, 30 seconds. So as um, a, an economic developer, but also a systems thinker, I always think about ways that we leverage partnerships in the community and make sure that most of the investment goes directly to the entrepreneur. 
um, continuing to do collaborations. And for us, we procure services outside of ourselves. So for example, the data piece, Starbase has that. Um, and we are strategic about how do we um, leverage all the resources that come in? Because you never know, you know, if we were to sunset, we want most of the resources to still be sustainable in the entrepreneur. And so don't try to have everything in-house. That would be my advice. Procure the service for those who are the experts and lean in on the programs that we're supposed to provide for entrepreneurs. So that's what we're doing. So. Thank you. And Betty, final word to you. I, you know, I've, I've seen unprecedented collaboration and coordination this last two years. And I think if we can continue doing that with the broader mission of building, um, you know, inclusivity and wealth in our communities, we're going to be better off. And I think the, the collaboration here is the first point, but deep relationships of trust are necessary to do it. So having conversations like this are vitally important. Like I know there's a couple of people I'll connect with, right? Because we wanna learn from each other, leverage best practices um, and keep building this community of support. And then just having grace with each other because this is tiring, hard work. And a lot of it is done, not just in our jobs, but externally too. Uh, and just, you know, thankful to having communities of practice now that, again, I didn't know they existed. I'm glad that they're emerging and that we can um, learn from each other and continue to build, um, you know, real inclusivity and trust. Thank you. And uh, such an amazing panel. I wish this was a two hour or even an in-person meeting. That would be such amazing uh, uh, time spent together. Uh, thank you all for joining today. Our next series is the final one of the year. It's uh, uh, the first week of December. So more information in the chat. Uh, thank you to our panelists. Uh, it was amazing talking to you today and we look forward to staying connected and continuing to hear the great work you're all doing in your communities. Uh, and we'll talk to you all uh, next month. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polnarz. Special thanks to Del Gaines for joining us. Show notes and cover art by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.